HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area, and we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio and we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's and their studio because they talk to people who are, are serious about food and that's what we are at Fairways. We're serious about food. We we just care very deeply about about you as a as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain and and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it and and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's that's we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan-Turkel, here today uh, with a real treat. It's Elaine Kalman-Grossinger, and a big thank you to Molly Birnbaum, a prior guest, uh, because it was her book, Season to Taste, uh, about her experiences having lost her sense of smell that led her to you, that led you to me. Um, Elaine's a flavorist. It's kind of a term that not many people know, but a lot of people experience often 
way too often throughout life without ever uh, kind of breaching the possibility that there is someone there helping design flavors, helping impact the flavor industry from beverages, confectionaries, etc. And uh, we have one fine specimen of that here. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to yeah. be here. It's, it's amazing the amount of things that she's actually brought. We have little bottles and vials and tasting cups. So we're going to do this on air tasting in a little bit. But first, I want to explain to people, well, your, your past, uh, your rise through Flavor Kingdom, uh, arriving to where you are today. What exactly is a flavorist and how did you start becoming involved? Well, most people become flavor chemists by accident, yeah. <laughs> which is how I became yeah. a flavor chemist. I was actually a chemistry and biology major as an undergrad and yeah. didn't know what to do with it. They kind of pushed me to go to medical school. Didn't want it. Yeah. Tried genetics, loved it, but didn't like working with fruit flies. <laughs> so um, needed a job. Got a job at a company called IFF, and I trained there to be a flavor chemist. Yeah. And was IFF was the international... Flavors and fragrances. Yeah, I was just amazed at this industry every lab smelled like something else yeah and i thought this would be a great thing to do yeah you can't learn it in school you need a degree in chemistry but you need to be trained under an, an apprentice you have to be an apprentice and train under a certified flavor chemist which i did for a fabulous guy dr charlie weiner yeah and um and that led me to my path i mean i went back to school at night for my master's yeah and um Trained. I tasted chemicals and tasted essential oils, smelled everything. And I basically had to kind of form a memory or create a memory or remember something that something I smelled like reminded me of. You know, I smelled some chemicals and I would say, oh, this reminds me of that. And I would take notes yeah. before computers. <laughs> so <laughs> I would write everything down. And anything I thought of, if I thought something smelled like, a perfume I once knew or something I tasted or the way a car smelled or the way people smelled. And I just wrote that down. Yeah. And that's, that what, that's what formed my flavor library in my brain. Do you remember those first notes? I mean, the first smell that you try to put on paper? Yeah. There was a chemical I smelled, which actually is in lemon, which I have today. It's called citral. And when I smelled that, there was a perfume that all the teenagers wore called, I think it was love or something. (laughs) And I knew that was it. I said, that's it. And so I, I was able to establish a memory so that I knew when I needed to use a fragrance or a smell or aroma or flavor like that, I knew immediately what bottle to pull. Yeah. It's easier than, you know, like this three hexanol smells like freshly mowed grass. Yeah. We call it a green note. But if you know what freshly mowed grass smells like, that's an easy one. So if you know a strawberry flavor needs a freshly mowed grass, you pull that chemical yeah. off the shelf. So, I mean, it's kind of like that game memory where you start yeah. making associations. Yeah. Well, smell is the most primitive of all the senses. And it's based on memory, a lot of it. So you remember things from way back of what it smells like. Yeah. Do you remember your first smell? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't think I do. I'll have to think about that. I I, I was trying to think of that before, and it was a hard one to kind of come up with. But uh, I don't even remember living in this house when I was, you know, born. We lived Mm -hmm. in Long Island. And at some point, I just remember the smell of, I think, the linoleum tile of the kitchen. We may not have even had it, but I just have this weird association with that smell. Well, it's funny, that smell, because people have smells. And I remember being very friendly with somebody in high school and college, and he had a certain smell. Not 
you know, not a bad yeah. smell, but yeah. a specific smell. And I hadn't seen him in probably 30 to 35 years. I saw him 35, 30, 35 years yeah. later, and I said, you smell the same. <laughs> and he thought I was crazy, yeah. but yeah. you remember smells. Well, I can already see you and your uh, flavors girlfriends gossiping about how dudes smell. Like, <laughs> he's got a little Sithry hexanol to him. that's sure. been rolling around in the grass. Well, try yeah. going out to eat with one of us. Yeah, you know, yeah. We rip everything apart. I know. I was going to ask that later. Talk about having a critic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you started and you apprenticed, but for how long before you were actually considered a flavorist? Officially, I think I trained for about three to four years, but it's a work in progress and you, I'm still training, yeah. you know, 30 years later, I'm still learning. I still smell new chemicals, but you know, you kind of just get better and better at it. I officially probably became a junior flavor chemist three years later then a senior flavor chemist, maybe another two, three years later, but it's a work in progress. You're yeah. always, I'm still tasting new chemicals. Otherwise, you know, you stagnate if you don't keep yeah. tasting. Well, I mean, what growing. is the day in the life of your job? You are now at a company called Citramax in mm-hmm. New Jersey, um, division called Citramax Flavors, which right. is more specific about um, putting flavors into products. Yes. What we do basically is we create flavors that go into products that everybody's very aware of when you walk into a supermarket. Yeah. Um, Basically, there are two ways we can do it. We can either be proactive and develop flavors for beverages or bakery stuff, gum, candy, anything, um, and show it to a client. You know, we can go there and do a proactive demonstration and say, oh, look, what do you think? We thought this would be great for a line extension for you. And sometimes they give us specific projects. They'll say, you know, we want a green strawberry that's going to work well with stevia. You know, anytime a new artificial or natural sweetener comes out, we have challenges that we face. We have to cover it up because they all have really bad aftertastes. So I'm always creating. I'm always writing up formulas. You know, we have technicians that compound them, and then we'll taste them. And usually a few of us will taste because everybody gives a little, adds a little bit something to it, and we'll all taste and say, I think it needs this, I think it needs that. And we'll pull all our ideas together and we'll revise it and it's we do constant revisions of flavors huh. it's funny that you bring up that a lot of you taste um makes me feel like flavors quantifiable at a point then because how far off are people's tastes very yeah yeah it's very hard to get three or four people and they'll all agree um even like how you measure you know when when we train people to be tasters what that is is we want when we we have panels and we do hedonics on what a flavor, you know, measuring a flavor. You want to make sure everybody's on the same wavelength or you'll have numbers all over the I place. I like that. It's called hedonics. Yeah. yeah. It seems like the funnest job in the world it, when you relate it, is. I mean, it to hedonism. Right? <laughs> well, isn't it? It's yeah. a very central. I mean, yeah. tasting and smelling is all about the senses. Yeah. It's totally yeah. central. Yeah. So what we do is like we'll quantify what people say. We'll give somebody something to taste in a certain level, let's say two parts per million, and we'll say, okay, how strong is this flavor? And we keep doing it until everybody agrees on a number. I mean, it's hard to quantify what it tastes like or how strong it is or how weak it is, but we try to get people or a group of people to be on the same page so that when we taste something, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. So that happens almost every day? Yeah, we taste every day. We put it, sometimes we get the base from our clients. They'll say, put a flavor in this base. And we'll put it in and we'll test it. We'll run triangle tests if we need to match something. We'll run hedonics tests if we want to get a good rating. Yeah. Um, and we'll just get people's opinions. And then um, we submit it. Sometimes we submit just the flavor. Sometimes we submit the finished product. 
we either in their base or sometimes we have to create a base. They just say, make us a base that's yeah. 10% this, that has all the vitamins you could imagine. And, you know, we have to cover up everything. And then we submit finished beverages. So when you first taste something, is there some kind of chart that you go off of that say, well, I can go this way for acid. I could go this way for base. I can go this way for citrus. I can go this way for vegetal. Yeah, there is. But basically, it's there's. let's say you're doing a citrus. So it's a lemon-lime flavor, let's say. And you kind, we kind of call it a skeleton flavor. It's a basic lemon-lime. But then if you want to make it more juicy, you know what to pull for juicy notes. Yeah. So there'll be chemicals like ethyl acetate acetaldehyde. You add that, it'll make it juicier. But then you say, okay, now let's go and make it like really sweet and cooked. Like if you want to make it like a, then you'll add some brown notes to it. It doesn't work so well with citrus. It works better with a flavor like strawberry. Yeah. If you think of a a basic skeleton strawberry flavor, we'll have a pretty basic formula. But then you want to make it more juicy. Again, you'll add those juicy chemicals I talked about. If you want to make it more like pureed blueberries or jammy, sorry, the strawberries, if you want to make it jammier, you'll add chemicals like furaniol, maltol. Um, Those are chemicals that make it browner, more cooked. And we have a lexicon of flavor descriptors, and we talk like that. It's We understand each other's language. Yeah. And, you know, often we give classes, like I'll teach my customers and give it to them, and I do sometimes teach it to students in, in classes so that if I say I want to make it browner, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the color brown, but it does have a correlation to brown. Yeah. It'll be like jammy cooked. Are you a wine drinker? Yes. Yeah, so how do you explain Pinot Noir to folks? Oh. <laughs> well, it depends. It's, it could be very fruity. Yeah. You have cherry notes. Yeah. And every every type of Pinot Noir is different. Every yeah. winery will make a different one. But, but then you start throwing fruity. out um, more complex terms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I drink wine, there's grapefruit notes and yeah. white wine a lot. Um, blackberry notes you get in red wines. You get cherry notes. You get fig notes a yeah. lot. But uh, with wineries as well, can you consult with them and then break it down into equations? Say, oh, we can add in a little bit more jamminess by putting in. Sure, but you don't do that. Yeah. You don't do that to wine. Yeah. <laughs> They're sterile. There's they something that's sacred about it. There's that. something sacred yeah. about wine, and you don't add any flavor to wine. Yeah. But if you want to describe it, I mean, I, there's some white wines that taste like passion fruit to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, probably most people would think I'm crazy. I, you know, most people are not enologists, and yeah, they yeah. just drink the wine because they like the way it tastes. and. But if you're an enologist or you're a flavorist or you're a person who likes to describe what they're drinking, have some wine with me. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll have a great time. So back to citrus. Uh, Citra Max was actually um, started because of citrus or because of yes. uh, orchards in Argentina, you were telling me. Yes, the owner of the company, who still comes in every day, um, started the company in the 60s. And now his daughter runs it. The owner was Jacob Gluck. His daughter, Vivian, runs it. Basically... Um, he planted lemon saplings in Tucumán, Argentina, which is just due south of the Andes Mountains. And it's a perfect climate for growing lemons. And right now we grew it to about, I'd say we have between 800,000 and a million lemon trees. 30% of our orchards are organic lemons, and we are the number one organic lemon growers in the world. So we started out as a lemon company. Yeah. Um, but we extract the juice from it, and we have lemon juice, and we also take extract the oil and have lemon oil from the peel. So that's how the company started. Um, 
70 to 80 percent of our lemons are used for processing where we make juice and oil and 20 to 30 percent is for fresh fruit yeah you make it sound so simple when it's just you know <laughs> lemons to lemonade but there are a lot of steps in between <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah oh yes you should see the equipment to get to lemonade well you should see the bottles that we have in front of us i mean uh, there are samples of lemon juice and lemon this and lemon that uh, cloudy versus clarified I mean, there's a lot of different ways to d deliver a flavor or actually distill a flavor. Um, it's lemon more complex than others in that you can have a juice, uh, an oil, you know, a peel. Well, you could, you, yeah, it's more complex because you could get a juice and a peel. With most fruits, you just get the juice. Strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, there's no peel. It's just juice. You could get essence also from other fruit, but... Citrus, because of the peel, that's where the oil is. That's where the flavor is. You know, when you squirt a lemon peel or an orange peel and you get something in your eye and it burns, that's the oil. Yeah. You're getting the oil. Inside is the juice. So you really, you can get the essence as well from the juice, but you definitely have more complexity in citrus because there's so much more to get out of it. Yeah. So are the majority of your flavors derived from citrus or do you then build upon it? <laughs> well, because we're so you know, basic and strong and citrus. We are known for our citrus flavors, but that's not all we do. Yeah. We could do every flavor. We also do a lot of tropical flavors because of our presence in South America, particularly Brazil. So we go on taste treks and taste every imaginable exotic fruit in Brazil. And then I go home to my lab and I make the flavors yeah. that taste like the fruit. Tell us about some of those exotic fruits. Probably the most exotic one that I've come across is jackfruit. Um, jackfruit is an unusual fruit. It grows to about 40 kilos, and it's pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, they grow pretty wild in Brazil and in other parts of the world, but my encounter with them was in Brazil. And they call them the poor man's fruit in Brazil because they grow wild, and they literally fall off the trees. And they're so heavy that when they hit the ground, they kind of burst. Oh, so it's just... Prego, it's ready already. Kind of, yeah. except that to get to it is a little complicated. It's a very hard fruit on the outside. It's kind of got green points. Mm -hmm. They're not sharp. They're just very tough and hard. You have to take an axe to get it open. Yeah. And when it opens up, there's like, it's very gummy. And you have to kind of stick your, it's kind of awful. You have to stick your fingers <laughs> in and pull out this bulbous fruit that's yeah. edible. So it's not a custard fruit. It's, no, it's, yeah. it's extraordinary. I think it's a fabulous fruit because it's so complex. It tastes a little custardy. It's a little banana-ish. It's a little cinnamony. It's a little tropical, and it's really good. It kind of attacks all your senses because there's so much going on. And, you know, some people just pull it out from the street, but in the fancy stores, they clean it up, and they put the bulbs in little, you know, plastic <laughs> containers. Yeah. But it's a really interesting fruit. You know, of course, I couldn't bring any back with me, yeah. but I came home and made a flavor. Went to the lab. You know, I formed memories. I wrote notes, and I said, okay, it reminds me of this and that and that, and some of it I translated into essential oils and chemicals, and I came back to the lab and developed the flavor. I had a mangosteen for the first time in Brazil, which I love. Now you can get it in Chinatown, yeah, yeah. but then you couldn't. And I came back and made mangosteen flavors, um, loquats, uh, passion fruits, of course, are common here. But there's just extraordinary plethora of fruit that you can't get here yeah you get there so i like the idea of if you can't bring it back with you just make it right, exactly. yeah <laughs> of course we're gonna take a quick break and actually maybe taste some jackfruit brought back in the mind of <laughs> elaine kelman grossinger you'll be right back you're listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.com
Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Elaine Kelman Grossinger. That was just, that's a lot of names, three and three. Um, and we're going to start drinking. <laughs> we're going to start tasting and smelling. Elaine's brought a bevy, uh, quite an array of beverages. I guess bevy was a perfect word for that. <laughs> um, and you have the citrus, you have you know, other flavors that you develop. But uh, when I was looking through Citramax's uh, website, it's kind of broken down into four categories and, um, you know, industries per se that you develop flavors for, which are beverage, which we have many in front of us right now, uh, confection, dairy, and savory. Why those four? How do those things separate? Well, beverages is anything you could drink. Yeah. Carbonated, still, dry, teas, coffees. Um, that's, probably the biggest industry and the fastest growing yeah Every, everybody drinks i mean you look in supermarkets what has the most shelf space beverages yeah um bakery confection that's also a fairly large category bakery can be any kind of cakes packaged cakes cookies they all have flavors in them everything yeah. has flavors um they also could be in cake mixes they can be in frostings all that Candy goes under confection. Any candy, any gum you pull off the shelf, they all have flavors in them. Mm -hmm. So we do all of that. Then there's um, dairy would be ice creams, yogurts, all of that, anything in that category. Frozen and, you know, regular yogurts, frozen yogurts. And savory would be meats, soup mixes, um, spice blends, the beef jerkies that you see, all of that fits in the savory category. So pretty much everything. <laughs> everything. You I, name I, it, we can yeah, flavor yeah, it's it It's almost much. process of elimination. Like, what don't you flavor? <laughs> we really flavor everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's pretty sad that everything has flavors in it. But yeah. I mean, even pharmaceuticals, medicines, toothpaste, that all has flavors as well. Yeah. And we do that also. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of amazing. Um we're going to start tasting a couple things. And I don't know if there's a progression that you want to go in. Maybe lemon, because we have so many of those products first. Um, or we could jump straight into jackfruit. I don't mind traveling. You pick it. Yeah. <laughs> it's let's, your choice. Let's, let's check a couple of these lemons out. Okay. Well, we can do a lemon-lime carbonated yeah. beverage, just so you can see what... I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of carbonated lemon-lime yeah. beverages on the market. So... What's also interesting, speaking of lemon-lime, is um, how 
how your senses all work together. When you look at something, you expect it to taste like that. So, you know, and I do this experiment with my kids, and they do it in their science classes. Yeah. You, get, you give somebody a cola beverage, and they immediately say it's cola even before they taste it. And they taste it, and they just assume it's going to be cola. And then you take the exact same cola flavor and put it in a beverage like this, which is no color. Yeah. And everybody will say it's lemon lime, it's seven up, it's sprite, it's you know, because they just assume yeah. that if it's clear, it's a lemon lime beverage. Yeah. And then you take the exact same flavor and put it in a red soda and they'll say it's cherry. Some people will say it's cherry seven up or cherry, you know, coke, but they all say a red flavor. Well, seeing the pictures that you had sent me, um, it looks like the majority of things actually do have color in your lab. Um, but do a lot of the bases start out as clear liquids? Yes. And some beverages just naturally are clear. You'd never see Sprite with color or 7-Up with color. And this is a lemon-lime soda. Wow, it's been so long since I've actually had soda. <laughs> this yeah. is less sugar than the current. That's what's on the market. Yeah. And what does this have in it? Juice, oil? It's got um, some juice, but you can tell it's clear, so it's clarified yeah. juice. And it has oil, lemon and lime oil. Yeah. But it's in a washed extract, so it has to be in a water-soluble form. Yeah. Or else it would oiling out on top yeah it's funny how round and how like not tangy it is and almost towards a grapefruit more so than lemon lime um when you say lemon lime do you feel like it's an even split between the two citrus this is yeah 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 some aren't but this is an even split do you think it's an even split (laughs) yeah i mean like i said it's been a long time since i think i've had a lemon lime soda or soda in general um and what's fascinating is how easy you are able to recall that. Yes. So I'm like, oh, obviously, you know, there's Sprite. 7-Up is too far. It's more in that Sprite Fresca mm-hmm. uh, range. Well, Fresca's grapefruit. Yeah, yeah. And actually, cola, I don't know if you know what a cola flavor is. Have no. you ever thought about no, it? No, I don't think so. Do you so. drink cola? Any cola um, No, not really. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you did and I mean, you tasted I, it. For years, I did, but yeah, I haven't Okay, recently. so next time you drink it or maybe go out and get one yeah, after this, yeah. um, Basically, a very basic, as we call a skeleton formula, is of cola is lemon, lime, and cinnamon and nutmeg. It's yeah. really a citrus and a spice. Yeah. So next time you taste it, think about it. Actually, do you have a cola here right now? <laughs> I didn't bring one. Oh, I was going to say we just mix these two together and just. But actually, yeah. when you know, a cola flavor really is that citrus and spice. Yeah. So like a lemon, if you put lemon into your Coke or Pepsi, it's really just enhancing the lemon. Interesting. Um, what other kind of lemon things do we have right now? Um, I mean, I did bring a lemonade that's comparing cloudy and clarified. If you want to see if you can tell the difference. Oh yeah, no, I do. It's, it's it's great there. I mean, specifically, uh, there are two samples here and Elaine keeps on coaxing me. Um, I don't know whether or not this is a trick, whether or not they're going to taste the same, taste differently, but they look superior differently. One's completely translucent and the other one's murky like my tap at home sometimes. All right, now taste it and tell me if you, I mean, you could clearly see a difference. Will that, you know, will that guide you? Will that bias you to taste different? And these are just lemon juices. With lemon, it also has lemon oil lemon in oil. it. Mm-hmm. Well, the cloudy one tastes completely different to me. Does it? Yeah. Oh, man, I know I'm wrong, aren't I? Well, why don't you tell me what differences you see? The most boring radio segment ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just drinking lemon. Um, 
you know, the more and more I taste them back to back, the more similar they seem. There's just a different viscosity in the cloudy right. one to me. Yeah, and texture also affects yeah. how you taste. Yeah. You know, if you closed your eyes, I mean, if you closed your eyes and tasted an apple and an onion, close your eyes and close your nose, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the apple and the onion. Yeah. And if you looked at it, obviously, you would know. Yeah. But really, everything you taste is what you smell and also what you see. So if you can't see and you can't smell, you're tasting really nothing. So here you're looking at it and you expect it to taste different. Yeah. Right? There is a slight difference and, and texture does impact it a lot. But there's also a slight acidity different difference. I don't know if you can tell. There's a little more. Yeah, the more, less cloudy one feels a little more acidic to me. Yeah, it may be. And the reason it may feel, the pHs are exactly the same. Yeah. The reason it may taste a little more acidic to you is because there's less viscosity. So it's hitting you a little faster. Yeah, yeah. So the speed in which you taste actually is an effect of... Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And texture affects it also. Yeah. What else do we have here? Okay. Well, coconut waters are very big. So I thought I'd bring some coconut oh, yeah. waters and show uh, you. Coconut water is what one of the fastest growing subsectors of the beverage Absolutely. industry right now. Why is that? Because people are starting to discover the natural um, therapeutic nutraceutical values of it. It's... A natural isotonic. So you can get rid of the Gatorades and the Powerades. Coconut water has a very high concentration of potassium, of sodium. And actually, you could use it. I mean, years ago during the Pacific War, you they used it in emergencies to transfuse people. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Soldiers who lost too much blood. It does have a, you know, it's, it's hydrating you. And it does have similarities to yeah. human blood. And I think a lot of people drink it nowadays when they're hungover. Yeah, well, it's, it's replenishing all yeah. the salts. It's very healthy. Um, I mean, runners could use it. Athletes could use it. It's and it's t- it's so good. I yeah, mean, it's really good. And you've experienced it firsthand um, in Brazil. In Brazil, yeah. Years ago, when I went to Brazil for the first time, it um, they serve it instead of water. They have pitchers of coconut water. I thought it was water, and little did I know, I was then yeah. I realized it was coconut water. But when I came back, I said, There's, this is going to be the next big thing. It took a number of years, but it did, and I knew it would. So is this actual coconut water, or is this, this is, a synthetic? This is act- no, this is no. actual coconut water with a Kyperina flavor in it. <laughs> Do you know what a Kyperina is? No. Kyperina is a Brazilian drink. It's actually yeah. an alcoholic drink. Yeah. It's mixed with cachaça. Oh, yes. <laughs> lime. I think I've had enough of those to forget what they were. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, there's no alcohol yeah. in this. <laughs> However, I think the flavor is just so great. And yeah. so I decided. And I thought since it's Brazil, you know, it's a Brazilian drink, a Brazilian coconut, it will be nice to kind of combine it. So this actually leads me to alcohol. Um, can you recreate alcoholic flavors without having alcohol? Um. Yes, but it won't it won't have the effect of alcohol, yeah. obviously, and it will never be exact. But certain alcohols have much more character than others. Like vodka is just alcohol; it doesn't really have flavor. Yeah, but like rum and rum, yeah. absolutely. Gin is a great one because mm-hmm. gin is juniper, angelica. You could get all those essential oils and make a great gin flavor, and you definitely would recognize it. Alcohol is a little tricky because. If you compare vodkas, there definitely is a difference, but the average consumer probably couldn't tell the difference between vodkas. Yeah. Crazy people like me, you know, <laughs> flavorists, people who, who could t- detect differences in wines could. Yeah. But generally, it's pretty bland in terms of flavor. Yeah. How do you go out to eat? How do you, how do you pick your own food? I hmm. mean, are there specific flavor profiles you look for that you can 
I mean that you're you can still stand after having tasted <laughs> the spectrum. Oh, I'm off duty yeah. when I leave yeah. my lab. I I love trying new foods and new taste treats. To me, there's nothing like it. I yeah. love getting hit. I love my senses getting hit with different experiences. So I love color. I love colorful food. I mean, when I entertain, I serve, I cook colorful food. And I love looking at fresh. I like fresh food better than processed or Mm -hmm. overly cooked food. I'd love to eat in raw restaurants a lot. I like keeping the, the color. And I like trying different flavor combinations. I love herbs. I love, I mean, we even do it in beverages. I actually brought one beverage that, you know, has an herb in it. Oh, let's try it. Which one is that? It's a... We call it a tropical garden beverage. It's a tropical flavor, but it has some. Well, I'm not going to tell you yeah. what herb is in there. Why don't you yeah, taste I, it? I knew a test. Can see if you can. I was being kind yeah, up until yeah. now. No, I've, I've been trying to um, advise my palate to. And you know it hits you, and you're like, "Oh, I know what that is," but then <laughs> now you have to recoil and think again. Um, hmm. So this is a tropical beverage. Trop- yeah, it's tropical. Do you get the tropical notes? Oh, very much so. But there's a an herb in there. And I taste it right there at the end. You want a hint? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You eat it in Italian food a lot? You told me you just came back from Italy? Yeah, it tasted a little oregano-y. It's basil. Oh, okay. <laughs> Close. Yeah. It tasted pizza spicy, just a tiny bit. But Now, now retaste it. Do you taste the basil? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's amazing, but it, it lines directly through. It, it's so right. clear. Kind of amazing. I knew I was going to strike out on that one. Well, I like doing that. You know, I'm usually mm-hmm. very kind. I don't like doing that to yeah. people. What do you get in this? <laughs> hey, they torture me when I go out yeah. to eat. People yeah. say, "Tell us what's in there. We want to go home and make it." <laughs> well, let's let's check out that jackfruit because I don't know if I've ever you know experienced it before. Okay. Well, first I'm going to let you smell a jackfruit flavor. Yeah. And then I'm going to let you taste it in just a plain tasting solution, and then in a coconut water. Excellent. Yep. Okay. Okay. And you do parties, right? Bar mitzvahs. <laughs> you know, it's funny. A friend of mine once asked for a favor. His daughter was having a bat mitzvah and asked if I could do a fragrance thing for her. Yeah. So we pulled all these things for fragrances and the kids made their own combination. Yeah. That's awesome. It tastes like, uh, it smells like banana runts, that candy. Yeah. Right? Does this smell like, this smells like banana, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jackfruit has a lot of banana notes. Yeah. It's a little bit softer, not as, you know, like. I don't know when you, when you get unripe bananas and it has that weird uh, uh, you know overly proteiny smell to it. Okay, this is in solution, so you're not smelling it. Yeah. Flavor. Yeah. Okay. How many little cups do you carry around? Oh, thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I walk around. Yeah. This is a big one. Usually we have smaller ones. Yeah. They gave me the fancy cups today. <laughs> you're so fancy here at Heritage. <laughs> So this is just in tasting solution, which is really how we screen flavors. Yeah. You know, we don't always have time to make up, you know, complicated bases. This is just sugar, acid, water, and we just throw the flavor in. Yeah. So what is the ratio of sugar, acid, water? It's about 8% sugar, um, about 0.15% citric acid, and the rest is water. It's just a screening. And then if we're tasting flavors that don't work in acid they like if we're tasting a caramel flavor we're not going to put it in this space we won't put the acid in um this this has that taste of um the gum that used to be packaged in baseball cards and see you have a memory yeah yeah 
yeah. flavor and smells at work. It's, it's you're creating, you're remembering something. Oh, yeah. I mean, that right. flavor didn't last. You chewed it for like five seconds and it was gone. Right. But yeah, that initial yeah waft of really old gum. And yeah, but now you cars, see so. how oh, yeah. you really are remembering something. And now you know, like when you smell this, you'll know, oh, yeah, that's Yeah, it's yeah. just funny that now I'm going to associate jackfruit from Brazil with Topps cards from 1987. Right. Yeah. See? That's, <laughs> now, this is the jackfruit guava. Sometimes we mix unusual fruits or flavors with more recognizable ones, so it's not so foreign to the consumer. Yeah. You know, so if you say jackfruit, they go, what? But if you mix it with guava, you can kind of say, well, it's like a tropical, funky blend. And this is in coconut water as well. I am so hydrated right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? Oh, yeah, but it... Yeah, it loses some of that banana note to it because of how right. it kind of melds into... Because the, you get the guava. Yeah. But now underneath, now do you start tasting the banana? Oh, yeah. It took a while, but it started coming out. Yeah. yeah. There are layers. Like, you kind of smell and taste things in layers. Like, some things hit, hit you right away, and then they hit you in the middle, then they hit you in the end. Yeah. I actually brought some blotters. When you put a blotter in, like, a lemon oil or any flavor to smell... We tend to smell it at the beginning, smell it in the middle, smell it at the end because it changes. You have yeah. the light notes, the middle notes, and the heavy notes. Yeah. Um, these little vials, the ones with the longer names, <laughs> let's dip into those. And explain to people what we're about to go through, like uh, the more green flavors. and. Okay. So basically, to create a flavor, we ha- we're like artists. We have a palette. Instead of paint, we have essential oils and aroma chemicals. And like paint, we know the colors, we know the flavors, we know the smells, we know what we're looking for when we want to find it, and then we build our flavor. So what I did is I brought a few chemicals just so it could smell and see what it reminds you of and what it would be used in. Okay, I am. I think we talked about a brown note. Yeah. Okay, so this is a brown note. It's called furaniol. Do you see how that could possibly work to make something jammy and cooked? Yeah. Well, I mean, it has that car- it's caramel. Carm- yeah. It's caramelized. Yeah. So I could use that in a caramel flavor. I could use that in a butterscotch flavor. And what's it called again? It's called furaniol. Furaniol. Yeah. You'll remember that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so this, if we have a basic strawberry flavor, this would make it more of a jammy strawberry. Yeah. Now we're going to take the strawberry in another direction. This is called cis 3 hexanol. We call it the green note, which reminds you of... Fresh cut grass. Fresh cut grass. But with soil. With I soil. Mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's fresh, it's like vetiver and fresh cut grass and, and perfumes that uh-huh. smell just like the blade itself. But yeah, this is definitely um, after a nice little rainstorm, a little dewy. Exactly. Yeah, you get the fresh rain on yeah. that too. So I would put this in a strawberry flavor if you wanted to make it more of a green, fresh strawberry yeah. the one that you pull right off the I mean know, but how much do you put in just a little very drop little. yeah yeah I mean flavors are so concentrated and the finished flavor would probably be used at about a tenth of a percent that's all yeah and it makes the product I mean without flavors none of these beverages would have any flavor at all yeah you go into the store if there was no flavor in it you'd have nothing yeah yeah what other crazy little vials do we have here all right I'm not going to tell you what this is I mean I'll tell you it's called diacetyl and tell me if it reminds you of anything. Whew. It does. <laughs> All right, you want a hint? Yes. <laughs> when you go to the movies, 
popcorn. Yeah, buttered like popcorn. The fake butter. But yeah, yeah, this but is it's, the fake it's, butter. it's definitely like much more pronounced. It's not as uh, fatty as right because it's just one chemical. Yeah, but it's and doesn't have the oil and the fat. Oh, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. Now, what am I huffing again? Diacetyl. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you ever get stopped by the cops driving home with a car full of diacetyl? <laughs> I don't fill my car with yeah. diacetyl. But there are times when, yeah. you know, I, something gets spilled in the lab years ago when I was training. When yeah. I was an apprentice. I spilled um, a peach flavor. I was compounding for somebody I worked with. I was petrified of him. Yeah. He's a great guy. And I learned a lot. And I went on the subway and I smelled from it. And people like <laughs> just sniff. Yeah. And once I was working on a maple flavor. And that just stays with you forever. And I was on the subway again, and I heard people saying, does anybody have pancakes here? <laughs> they didn't even think maple. They yeah. just associate maple with maple syrup and pancakes. Yeah. And people were saying, somebody's eating pancakes here. Actually, it wouldn't be a bad idea during the summer when sometimes there are those stink trains. Mm. You pour in a little maple syrup in there to make okay. that a little bit better. Um, I didn't want to end this thing without talking a little bit about the future of flavors. And, and uh, Molly also asked me to inquire about fantasy flavors. Um, what are fantasy flavors, one? And what are the future of flavors since you're you know, introducing jackfruit and these green notes and these brown notes? I think, well, fantasy flavors, most of us know. I mean, a cola is a fantasy flavor. Yeah. Um, Dr. Pepper, all these flavors, Hawaiian Punch. I mean, it's a, it was a fantasy yeah. flavor. Now it becomes an icon, Hawaiian Punch. Blue it's Raspberry? Blue Raspberry? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are all, I mean, fantasy, Blue Raspberry is not really a fantasy because there's no such thing as a Blue Raspberry, yeah. but people think of it as combining a blueberry and a raspberry. Gotcha. Um, and a Blue Raspberry would be something a little more kid-like, I would think. Um, but you, a fan, the next fantasy flavor could be anything like who knows, you know, you have to just take risks, you yeah. know, years ago when a cola was invented, people took a risk. Who would think of mixing a citrus and a spice? Yeah. I think people, companies are less likely to be so creative and taking that kind of risk, but I think they're still doing it. Yeah. Combining like, you know, a jackfruit flavor that'll be out. That's out there. You know, people are starting to, Mix exotic flavors. What are the more recent, um, you know, inventive flavors that have come out? The tropicals are probably the most inventive, creating, you know, developing and combining tropicals. Everything else has kind of, you know, been there, done that. You know, just a a twist on it. You know, lemon and lime is popular. That's never going to change. Orange is always going to be popular. You know, but years ago, remember passion orange, remember passion fruit, orange guava, the pogs? Yeah. That was popular. Now, just different tropical blends. If you go like, you know, berry and berry blends. The other thing that's very big now is combining vegetables with fruit. Yeah. Look at the fusion lines out there. They're combining carrot and tropical flavors, you know, fruits. So that's becoming big. And I think that will probably continue to grow, especially for kids trying to get them to eat their vegetables. Yeah. And I think that coconut water is definitely going to keep growing. And I think it's just a matter of how exotic and creative and daring companies want to be, how, how they, what they want out there. Yeah. See, now I wonder, did you ever trick your kids when they were younger by putting a little bit of you know, uh, certain notes into their food to make it taste better? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to mask vegetables. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I did a lot of that. I never really brought flavors yeah. home to add to food. Yeah. There's something about my kitchen that, you know, I don't bring, I don't mix business and pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I don't bring flavors home. Although sometimes 
I do for flavored waters. Flavored water is very big and mm-hmm. flavored seltzer. And sometimes I do bring home flavors and put it in seltzer. Yeah. And of all the flavors that you have in your lexicon, what are your favorites? Jackfruit is definitely my fla- my favorite. Yeah. I, I just there was something about that the way I found it, the way I discovered it, the way I made the flavor. It's just unusual. Um, yeah. I mean, I still love the citruses. Um, I mean, I love the all the you know pa- the tropicals. Yeah. And what is the equation for jackfruit, or is that proprietary? The equation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you know, it's like you said, it's a lot of the banana notes, the spice mm-hmm. notes, the, and it's just different chemicals. Yeah. Because do. Flavorous trade recipes, or is that... No, and actually our formulas are very confidential, and within each company, there's only a few people that are allowed to see them. Yeah. Um, you know, we get audited by all the, our, our clients. We have to tell them, like, you know, who has access to formulas. It's very limited. Yeah. So next time you're in a supermarket and you look around at all these big name brands, and notice we didn't mention any today. Right. Not allowed. <laughs> yeah. Think of Flavorous, because they've had a hand in all of them. Excellent. Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. And now we're going to taste a couple more drinks just for pleasure. Elaine Grossman. Elaine Kelman Grossinger. It just was so many names to remember. <laughs> thank yeah. you again. Citromax.com. Yeah. The flavor producers. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Host Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping you're back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. message from Fork and Anchor. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today. The following is a message from NOFA NY. Do you dig local food? Love organic farmers? Do you crave to be part of a growing movement of consumers concerned with the state of our nation's food system? Then sign up today to take the NOFA and Wise Locavore Challenge this September. Join 5,000 other New York locavores that are hungry, active, and ready to change our food system. Learn more at www.nylocavorechallenge.com. Every spring at the end of kidding season, goat dairies across the country are faced with the question of what to do with their male bucklings. Because on a dairy farm, there's no role for a male. Often the most economical thing for these farmers to do is to cull the animals at birth or ship them off to the commodity market. Heritage Foods USA is embarking on a new project, No Goat Left Behind, looking to step in and fill this niche by creating a marketplace for these male bucklings. Visit us at www.heritagefoodsusa.com to learn more and to reserve your goat this coming October.